What does a healthy soul look like? I think part of the issue is we we talk incorrectly about spiritual health. Mm. One of the things that we do is we look at our relationship with God as an event. So in the South, we're very prone to say, I got saved on July the 12th, 1998. Mm. And it's kind of like I've checked that bucket off and it's a one and done. But in fact, our relationship with God is a journey. Mm-hmm. It's a lifelong journey. We, we assume that accumulating Bible knowledge makes me spiritual, mm. when in fact, it's only when I learn to think biblically based on that Bible knowledge that it actually has any meaning. Welcome to the Four Fires Podcast, where we talk about winning in all four of the essential areas of life. And here's your host, Alan Kemper. Well, welcome to the Four Fires Podcast. My name is Alan Kemper, and I will be your host today. First, I just want to do a quick shout out about the uh, the Four Fires Tribe and the Four Fires Fire Circle. So if you're interested in joining a community of men who are living intentionally around the Four Fires, check out the link in the description and uh, find that community there. Today, I, uh, I have the honor of getting to talk to some of my, my spiritual heroes. These are people who have been a part of my my life for years and years, and we are going to dig into some questions around the purpose fire, our our connectedness to our Creator, and the commitments that are a byproduct of that identity as sons and daughters of our Creator. So, without further ado, we are uh, we're joined by Ron Lewis, Dean Collins, and Y Huxford, and I'll just give you an opportunity to introduce yourselves, tell us a little bit about who you are, what station of life you're in, and uh, what you do professionally. Yeah, I'll go ahead and start. Thanks for having us, Yeah, and thanks for picking these two guys. I'm excited about the fact that I get to talk about this with them and with you. Mm. So I'm Ron Lewis. I'm 63 years old, so I'm at that particular stage and phase of life. I'm currently the uh, senior pastor at Spring Road Christian Church, and I've been in full-time ministry for right at 40 years. So kind of where I'm at now in this particular stage of life, what I've been doing, I've known these two guys, and kind of like you, they've been mentors of mine and spiritual directors for almost five decades for Dean and definitely four for uh, Huxford. So just excited to be here. Yeah. Well, I'm Dean Collins. I'm 66 years old, so um, just three years older than Ron, but I was so far advanced early on, and we'll get to that eventually, but... Um, I'm the president of Point University uh, in West Point, Georgia. I've been a college president now for 17, just started my 18th year. Uh, I call myself the reluctant college president because I never wanted to be one. I'm still not sure I want to, but I am. You got voluntold. I got voluntold. I've been in a variety of occupations uh, from campus ministry, um, counseling and mental health, Worked at a public company as an HR executive, ran a consulting business, and now college president. So I've kind of lived this journey in and through all of those different mm. places. And for me, it's all about developing people. Yeah. So I'm Y Huxford, and among this group, I'm the old guy. In fact, among most groups, I'm the old guy. <laughs> um, I'm 72 years old, and I'm pretty sure I'm the oldest and longest standing employee at Point University. Mm. I just finished up 47 years of teaching. And among the people who were in the very first classroom that I walked in as a college professor was my current boss, President Dean Collins. So I've known him 47 years and Ron somewhere around 40, I guess. And um, I'm the Dean of the College of Biblical Studies and Ministry at Point University. And I also spent 20 years of those 47 years as a pastor of a local church where uh, we managed somehow to relocate and not implode. And I left a pretty healthy church, I think. And I have a great family, two very fine daughters, and um, look forward to this conversation. Yeah. So you are all men who have, who have lived your faith professionally, um, it has it has shown up in what you do on the day to day, but it also, just because I know all of you, it exudes personally. You almost can't have a conversation with any one of you 
without getting a, a sense of your own spirituality and how you are looking to grow the people around you spiritually. And that's a big part of why I wanted to have, I mean, this is, this is a fun group for me to get to have a conversation with because, you know, when we talk about the four fires, we're really trying to figure out how do we do each of these areas really, really well. And it's not always, I mean, there's a lot of stuff out there on social media about how you can win professionally. And if you want to go figure out how to get six pack abs, you can just find a YouTube talking head. But one of the things about the purpose fire is that the world does not oftentimes recognize us for strength in this area. In fact, one of the things we talk about is that if we think about what does the world recognize us first, especially as men, your professional fire, you'll get all sorts of applause and accolades for that. And then your physical fire and then your people fire. So long as it's not really a train wreck. And then the last thing that the world cares about is your purpose fire. But when we ask the question, what does our creator care about? What are his priorities for who we're supposed to be? It's almost the exact inverse. He first cares about our purpose fire and then our people fire. And then probably our bodies as our temple is the temple. And then it's the work we do. And so a lot of times we get this uh, mixed messages about what is most important. And so I wanted to little, talk a little bit about how do we gauge spiritual health? For example, I can kind of measure my professional success. I can kind of measure my physical health. The people fire gets a little harder to measure, and certainly in the purpose fire gets a little bit harder to measure. But just just start the conversation. What does a healthy soul look like? Well, I think it's a good problem to try to figure out because you can't um, dissect um, a cadaver and mm. find one. Mm -hmm. The soul's already left at that point, yep. uh, one would assume. So we can't put it under a microscope and find it. And yet we know it exists, and um, the Bible speaks a good bit about it. Um, I was thinking um, of, a, of a scripture, and since we're going to talk about God, you know, mm -hmm. Psalm 139 was the first one that came to my mind. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there is any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. So that's Psalm 139, 23 and 24. So... What I noted about that was, and see if there's any grievous way, because if there is, then mm. that's a negative or yeah. expression or the absence of a healthy soul, right? right. So mm. I, I know, I know what a unhealthy soul looks like <laughs> in yeah. many ways, and so you know, what is a healthy soul? Yeah, I think most of us are probably better at that than the flip side of it, really. Yeah, identifying yeah. what is not healthy. <laughs> yeah. I think part of the issue is. We, we talk incorrectly about spiritual health. Mm. And we sometimes, to quote a phrase from good old Nehemiah, we use the language of Ashdod to talk about things that are actually of God. Mm. And one of those things that we do is we look at our relationship with God as an event. Okay. So in the South, we're very prone to say, I got saved on July the 12th. 1998 mm. and it's kind of like I've checked that bucket off and it's a one and done mm -hmm. but in fact our relationship with God is a journey mm -hmm. it's a lifelong journey that will sometimes have great needs for me to read Psalm 139 mm. or over in First John when he, he reminds us that even when our hearts condemn us God is greater than our hearts and that's that's more journey than event and until we figure out that I haven't yet arrived, and maybe the reason we can't measure this is because I don't really end up being, quote, successful, another word that I don't think is the right word, mm -hmm. but we use it, until my soul departs my body and I finish this journey, which means it's hard to measure. Right. But it is a journey, it's not an event, it's not a one-and-done kind of moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, to, to pick up on that, the psalm, the very psalm we quoted, <laughs> opens with, 
the fact that the Creator knew us in our mother's womb. (laughs) So this journey of a relationship with God begins before we're even out of the birth channel. Mm -hmm. And and to your point about the journey, I think I I learned this from you the one day I was in class, (laughs) that Paul's Paul most often talks about the Christian life uh, in terms of a journey, walking and those kinds of things as opposed to a point and a time event. So I would be, can I ask a qu- him a question? Sure. <laughs> yeah. We're all learning so, here. <laughs> I, um, while it's probably not healthy to look at it as, a, as a, just a one-off kind of a thing, if it is a journey, would that mean then that there could be benchmarks and signposts along the way of that journey? Mm-hmm. Would, that be a, would that be a legit way to, um, to measure? Because I think all of us want to know we're making progress. I think that's where kind of how we're wired up. So would it be legit to say this is a, uh, this is a benchmark, this is a benchmark, or to look, be able to look back and see progress in, in certain specific areas? Would that be a legit way to look at it? Yes, and I mean, I personally think that if I'm not doing that, that I probably am stuck in an event somewhere that has not transformed me. So I can, you know, some of my life practices are when I go to bed tonight, I will do my best to remember to ask, did I do anything today that I would not have done if I did love Jesus? Mm. Sometimes the answer to that question is no, which I think means I'm stuck. Sometimes the answer is yes, and that means, okay, Huxford, you're being fruitful, which is a word I like better than success. Jesus talks a lot about fruitfulness. And some of the most fruitful things I do, nobody in the world that I know would say, oh, man, Huxford's very successful. But he's, from a kingdom of God economy, he's extraordinarily fruitful in some moments. What question do you ask yourself when you go to bed at night? Restate restate that. Have I done anything today that I would not have done except for the fact that I love Jesus? So what, what struck me about that, is that you're asking the question with the expectation that you are living in a way that looks like Jesus. Whereas I think a lot of us would ask the question, did I do anything that, that would make me look not, I mean, like where I'm looking for the sin or looking for the depravity, what was the grievousness, but even in the phrasing of that question, what you are looking for is where were the positives, where were the yeah. things, where... And I think some of that may go to, because like we were talking about that we're better at the dark side. Uh-huh. Uh, but some of that, too, is I think sometimes I want to know what the bare minimum is <laughs> <laughs> that I can go to. Where's the line right. that I... Because I don't want to cross the line, but it's not like I want to do my best at being fruitful. Mm-hmm. I just don't want to be really bad. And so I don't ask that question. I ask the one you're talking about, like... Have I screwed up today? Um, where did I screw up today is probably, yeah. for me, is a better question um, rather than the positive flip yeah. of that. Yeah, but I would say that Jesus would prefer you to ask the positive question. Yeah. It, in the professional, in the professional <laughs> fire, sorry. what we would call, like, how, how little do I have to do? Um, we talk about that as an employee mentality. Like, yeah. But that an owner mentality never asks that question. The owner, the business owner, is never looking for how little can I get away with, and that's what you're saying is there's almost the well, same. Assuming, as you've said already, God is creator, He's kind of the owner. Yeah, He yeah. wants to hear, but that we're the owner of our spiritual journey, and that we want to go as far and as fast as we can, just like we want to do with our professions. And I was thinking about the the language of bearing fruit because. All of Scripture has that vegetarian, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. vegetative sort of thing. <laughs> and the Creator who came in the flesh, Jesus, told a parable about the seed <laughs> that was scattered. And some of it was rocky soil, and some of it was fertile mm-hmm. soil, and some fell to the wayside. And I think we really may be trying to get to, well, what kind of soil am I, or how do I mm-hmm. become uh, a recipient? 
of what God is generously scattering right. all around us, and we tend to ignore, and how do we pay attention to it? Yeah, yeah. And I, I think that parable, you could easily say Jesus kind of recklessly yeah. sows seed. Yeah. And, you know, in his world, seed was not like running down to the local garden shop and buying a bag of mm-hmm. green bean seed to plant in my garden. Um, it was a very valuable commodity, and he is so engaged with the world in which he lives, he will just sow it recklessly. But the heart has to be good soil yeah. to respond. And maybe that's a maybe that is a part of our own spiritual journey is recognizing is my soul or is my heart fertile soil? Like where do I? How do I get to that? Willing to receive. Yeah. 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 Um, Which, by the way, is hard for men because we tend to think we know it all. Nobody needs to tell us. I'm, you know, I'm in charge of my own destiny. So the idea that I might need to open up and let somebody, and by the way, some mystical somebody, intervene, that's a hard thing for men to to get their heads around. Yeah, this morning um, I was talking to somebody very successful. Um, He's a intellectual property lawyer and so I just thought I mean he's gonna have some smart answers for this and so I asked him how he because he's a Christian elder in a church how he determined how well he was and his answer finally after a little while was areas where he had released control Mm. and surrendered Um, that was that was how he gauged if he was really making progress in his relationship with Jesus because it is difficult yeah I have a similar question that I also ask myself nightly, mostly, and it's it's out of the Esther story when Mordecai suggests that Queen Esther might have been born for just this moment. And so one of the ways I measure my own life is if this is the day God had in mind when I was born, what does God think of me? And something, some days I think apparently not very much. <laughs> but then some days, because I've taken some kid to breakfast and had a important conversation, I think if that's what God had in mind for me, I'm good to go. Did it? Mm-hmm. And I think those two questions together, at some level, help measure mm-hmm. my progress on the journey. Yeah. Which I think it was your question that started this. Yeah, because I think we all. I know I need some type of scorecard um, to see if I'm doing better. I'll, I'll compare, you know, this to this in some way or another. And I think sometimes I become frustrated spiritually, one, probably because I'm not making progress, but two, because I can't figure out a legitimate way. Because I know just checking the boxes, maybe even of the spiritual disciplines, doesn't really mean anything if they don't bear fruit. I can I can I can read the Bible every single day, read one of Dean's devotionals every morning, and if it doesn't bear bear fruit, to use that phrase again, then it doesn't matter that I've done it sixteen thousand days in a row or something. Mm. But I I think I do need a scorecard. I, I like the questions. And sometimes we we assume that accumulating Bible knowledge makes me spiritual, mm. when in fact it's only when I learned to think biblically based on that Bible yeah. knowledge that it actually has any meaning. Yeah, I wanna I wanna go back and explore this this idea of when I'm when I'm winning is when you're submitting. Because it's an it's an interesting idea to think oftentimes what it takes to win in your physical fire or to win in your professional fire is conquering and controlling. Like it is it is making and dominating yourself oftentimes to do the hard and the difficult things and the skill set required for that um, does not necessarily lend itself to also what I think we're saying winning certainly in our purpose fire but maybe even also in our people fire requires submission of self to others or to God and so is it mastering you know is there this submission element in our in our purpose fire that we need to be very aware of 
to get to that place of being fertile soil. Um, can I be fertile soil if I'm just trying to dominate my faith by memorizing scripture and, and those kind of things? Yeah, and I learned this from him is one of those aha moments for me. Paul's, the Apostle Paul's passage in Philippians 2 where he talks about Jesus taking on flesh and then talks about the fact um, that he became human and became a servant, became a slave, mm. that what Paul's talking about wasn't that just Jesus became a human and then served, but that what he's actually saying is that to be fully human, which is what Jesus was, was to serve. So when I am not serving, I'm not fully human. And so for me, that's always been a gauge. Did I serve today or something like that um, when it comes to spiritual maturity? But that goes to what you're talking about as far as submission. And that's difficult, like Dean said. I was thinking um, about a person that we all know. Uh, he's with the Lord now. And we probably all heard him say this. And um, uh, Smith Lanier, uh, all of us in this table have been touched by his life, very successful, you know, business person, and um, very committed Christian. And he told me probably 40, 45 years ago that his grandfather made mm -hmm. him sort of squeeze his hands, close, you know, make fists, and say, how much can you accomplish like this versus like this? Yeah, with your hands yeah, open. with your hands open. And so that became, you know, for Smith, and I think in many ways for all of us, how do we approach God yeah. with our hands open so that we can receive, but also how do we approach others with our hands open so that we can receive and also give? I can't give if, I, if I've got my, yeah. if, if it's stuck in my hand. Yeah. Trying to control it. Yeah, so posture yeah. Is, is a key ingredient to a fertile soil. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure when I figured this out, and it, it's been a while, but I went a whole lot of my Christian life not knowing this or not knowing that I should know this maybe, that if I were to boil it down to two kind of discipleship issues in the New Testament, the first would be it's never about me. <laughs> it's always about you, and that's kind of cultural to much of our world where it's almost always about me. Mm. But for Jesus, it's always about others. Mm. And, and the second is that the only time, well, this is an old-fashioned theological word, edify, which is actually not a bad word, and it simply means to build up. It's a construction term that has to do with what kind of structure am I going to put on this foundation that I just laid. And there's not one example of anybody in the New Testament edifying themselves. It's always, I'm edified by edifying others. So I'm built up by building up I'm others. I'm built up by building yeah. others. And I, I, for me, that I could probably, if I thought long enough, name some specific moments when I started thinking, okay, I need to start thinking here. But I, I don't know when exactly that was. But I do know that thinking that it's never about Huxford does not have to be the star of anything. Mm -hmm. He can not be on the stage and be okay. Mm -hmm. It's not about him. Mm -hmm. And the only way I can build my own life fruitfully is by helping build your life fruitfully. Mm -hmm. And those two principles I think can be transformative. Yeah, I was thinking you used the word edify and um, some that Maybe Alan Sinis, as we've been thinking about preparation, made me think of another man that I met 45 or 50 years ago named uh, Carl Ketcherside. Three, three of us know who he is. I don't know if Alan knows who he is or not. And I, I borrowed this from him and Alan when I was in your profession of doing consulting. I use this with my clients a lot because what Ketcherside said, anytime he stood in front of an audience, he came there to stir them up, build them up, or cheer them up. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And so when I would be with a, with a client, I said, now, you hired me to maybe help you figure out how to solve a problem, but in the process, <laughs> I'm probably going to stir you up, <laughs> you know, challenge you a bit, 
cheer you up or build you up. Hmm. And that's that's a part yeah. of what happens when we open ourselves. Yeah. God does that for us, and then we do that for others. So I'm hearing that there's a component to spiritual health that requires that fertile soil that's a receiving. That is not rocky. That's not closed hands. It's not hard. It's not controlling. So that requires this level of submission. That submission is this outward focused, not on me. It is focused towards the edification and building up of others. So if, if we can gain that posture, right, if I can be mindful that what I'm trying to do is be externally focused, then that's a posture. Uh, but also in Scripture, we, do, we are given practices. You know, Jesus does talk about, you know, in, in, in Matthew 5, it's when you pray and when you give and when you fast— like there were these, Dean, 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 I remember when I was in college, uh, one of the first you know, eye-opening moments for me was when uh, you, you, you came in and had me read that section of Scripture, and it was like, hey, to be a Christian, you know, do you think it's a given that you should pray? Yeah, I think that's kind of generally understood and accepted. And when you, when you give, like, oh, yeah, you're supposed to tithe and be generous. And then it's like, and when you fast <laughs> oh no <laughs> yeah like th- that it's a win not an if or uh if you were happen to choose and so there are people listening to this podcast that are on a whole broad spectrum of places in their spiritual journey people who they listen to the four fires podcast because they want to get some professional you know stuff out of this or hey, how do I make my marriage better? And they just stumbled upon this, and they're like, oh, well, I guess I've got a soul. you know. And then there's other people who are listening to this who are, well, many years into their journey. What are some of the disciplines that are scriptural, that, that maybe we misunderstand culturally or that we overlook culturally, that you notice people who have thriving, healthy, spiritual lives? Or, or maybe... Um, I like, we use the term a lot, directionally correct. You know, maybe we, we haven't arrived, but that we are at least directionally correct and that we're not going in the wrong direction. Let's talk about a little bit about spiritual disciplines. Why do they exist? Ron, you referenced them a little yeah. bit earlier. Why are they there? What are they good for? How do they help me, especially on my emerging spiritual journey? You know, what, what's interesting, in this conversation already, we've sort of referenced that just reading the Bible, or I don't know if anybody has said going to church, or that doesn't prove that you yeah. have a soul, or that it's developing, or, or, yep. or whatever. But it's hard to imagine a mm. developed soul <laughs> that doesn't. In fact, Scripture would, and I'll look at why here, because you can probably quote a few of them for us, you can't have a healthy life without consuming mm-hmm. God's Word, without spending time with Him in prayer, etc. Yeah, I completely agree. And, I mean, you and I have talked on more than one occasion about Bible reading habits, and that's one of the places where I'm very disciplined. That wasn't always true of me, and hopefully my repentance on that has been accepted. <laughs> but I, I can't imagine... Um, I remember the first year I was a college student at what was then Atlanta Christian College, there was this guy named Roy McKinney who taught a class called Bible Survey at 7.30 in the morning. And um, he was a pretty good teacher. But the thing that impressed me most was how much Scripture he could quote. Mm. I mean, he just oozed Scripture. And... Over the years, as I got to know him and became a friend and colleague, um, I discovered he had some really intense Bible reading discipline. Hmm. He wasn't disciplined about a ton of other things, but (laughs) when it came to Bible reading, when it came to Scripture reading, he he was on on target. And he, he was not the kind of guy that would give you short, little, nonsensical cliche answers to spiritual questions 
you ask him a question, you're going to have to take a journey through Scripture, which is what I think thinking biblically is all about. I just want to interrupt the more fire discussion to say you can't be successful in this fire without having a positive impact on the other three. I, I totally agree. You yeah. have to develop the soul if you're going to be you know, you might get one of the other ones, but you're not going to get all of them mm -hmm. unless there's a nurtured soul. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. I think for me, the, the disciplines, you know, some of the basic ones like the Bible reading, you know, I journal, uh, you know, the fasting, the prayer, those kinds of things. When I don't feel like I'm making progress, when I feel dry, while I never want to get into where those are just routine, those routines and rhythms keep me on the track. So um, it may feel like I'm not getting anything out of, you know, the last couple of chapters of Leviticus, um, or that my prayers are not even making it to the ceiling, let alone, you know, hitting the ceiling and bouncing back. I think the, the discipline and the rhythm of, of continually doing those things gives me a little bit of encouragement uh, that I've totally not gone off the rails and I then find myself at another stage um, actually thinking that those prayers are, are connecting and those kinds of things. So for me the disciplines um, even, even in the dry times the disciplines keep me on the track um, even if I don't think they're moving me down the track if that makes sense at all. Yeah, but we should acknowledge that last sentence. There will be dry times. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's a part of life. Yeah. Just like yeah. there is in business or relationship, you know, moments or struggle, there will be spiritual struggle. Yeah. And some of it is self-induced. Some of it is if you believe in God and a soul, then you're going to believe that there's an enemy that's working against God and a soul. Mm -hmm. yeah. And there will be interruptions that, that help create those deserts. I also think it's important both in reference to prayer and scripture reading to do a good bit of that outside in creation I mean the Bible's pretty clear the heavens declare the glory of God and um, Dean and I just had a conversation about this a few weeks ago but um, I've had a pretty tough last three or four years of my life and um, I have found myself most comforted when I'm sitting outside it's dark. I can hear all kind of night noises going on. I'm sitting under an oak tree that probably was planted during the Civil War, and um, it's me, God, and creation. Mm. And that's a really good combination. Mm. And, and part of that combination in that same conversation is because that word was written out there. Out there. There, there wasn't like a well-lit room or library that you yeah. know, Moses went to yeah. or Nehemiah hung out in mm -hmm. to write the scripture. It, it was, was outside, outside more than likely. Yeah. They didn't go to the library. Yeah. That's the reason I stay away from in school. Yes. <laughs> and honestly, in most every class I teach, I find a way to have an assignment that requires you to go outside, read a significant text in, in the Bible, often Psalm 19 because it's all about outside in Scripture, and um, have students journal about it. And I, that's maybe the one assignment I've ever given that I've not had a student complain. Mm. I've had tons of students say, I need to do this more often. Mm. So there's a, there's a connecting of place, specifically outside. Posture and place. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I think that's something that would be really easy to miss for someone who's just jumping into their spiritual journey is, oh, well, I'm... I'm supposed to muscle this, or I'm supposed to, you know, sit in a room and read. Yeah. And but and part of that problem is our living arrangements mm -hmm. don't always make it easy to be outside. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I have an acre-and-a-half lot mm -hmm. that's kind of secluded and woody, and I can sit outside under my oak tree from dawn till, I mean, from dark to dawn, and nobody would even know I'm out there probably. Mm -hmm. And... I think everybody needs to find some place. Yeah. And um, sometimes for me that place is home. Sometimes it's outside. Sometimes it's actually in my office. Um, mm -hmm. I'm a faculty member who will show up in my office all summer <laughs> yeah. because my office 
speaks to me about place and about God. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's important. Place is more important than we think. We've, we've all said in this conversation that we do read scripture. We've talked mm-hmm. about memorizing scripture, we've talked about place. One of the things that struck me as I was listening to you is just this morning, you know, one of my disciplines that you all know is I, I write. I write a daily devotional, which is, is first forcing me to interact with the text. So I'm not simply reading it, but I'm having to do something with it. So I, I'm thinking about it. I'm meditating on it. I'm thinking, well, how could this help somebody? I'm saying a prayer about it, etc. But today, when I was writing for something next week, I was on Psalm 121. And this kind of goes to the posture, because the psalmist says, I look up to the hills from whence my, com- my help yeah. comes. Okay, So these things. Cell phones. We're, we got neck issues because we're always looking down. Yeah, we, sure. we have wrecks. We trip because we're looking down. And the psalmist is saying, look up. Look up. Look up. And looking up changes your perspective. <laughs> yeah. And it opens you to a spiritual dimension, whether you've realized it before or not, that exists. Yeah. Just a little caveat here. We talk about body posture, and I think a lot of times when we think about the picture of prayer is the the little child at the bedside with their hands folded and on their knees. And I think that we hear a lot about, I got on my knees and prayed. But I think my sense... You know, even I, I used to go to a, an old Baptist church that had the, the, the in the pews, it had the, the kneelers, the kneelers, right? And that we would move our body uh, into a position of prayer. Is that, is that something like fasting that has just kind of gone out of vogue? Is that, is there power in that body? You know, I lay prostrate before the Lord. I, I kind of think about, man, when was the last time I laid prostrate before God. Yeah, I think all of us would say it's it's all of those things and scripture is filled with examples of people that laid down face face, face, face down. down. Those that knelt, those that stood and raised their hands, those that looked up to the heavens. And each one of those creates a different sort of I don't know, access point or yeah. something. But I think they all of them maybe it was just thinking as you because you physically just went through it yeah. and those kinds of things. All of them go back to um, the, the submission part hmm. and understanding. And, and the, I think even going outside, when I walk in my neighborhood and those kinds of things, that I love going out when it's dark and listening to the birds. And we've got some wild animals. Yeah. Dean knows he's seen them in my neighborhood. Um, that it reminds me that um, the world and the cosmos doesn't revolve around me. Mm-hmm. It's hard for me to go outside and to think I'm the center of everything. And I think it goes back to what we said before. It's it's the surrender part and understanding, um, as Huxford said, that it's not about me and that I will never grow um, if I just focus on me. So I think the postures that you see in the scripture, um, going outside in nature, uh, even you know the rhythm of Sabbath, is a reminder hmm. that I can actually stop and everything else keeps going on. You know, the, that the sun coming up and the sun going down is not dependent upon Ron Lewis as much as there's times when I wish that it was. Yeah. Let's touch on Sabbath for just a second because that's that's an interesting concept. And, and again, in our culture, maybe not highly thought of or held up. What's, what's the point of Sabbath? For me, from my perspective, and I'll I I will be humbled before Huxford on this one. I think the whole point of Sabbath, maybe not the whole point of Sabbath, but I think the point of Sabbath is to understand that it's not about us. That I can actually cease. Sabbath is ceasing mm-hmm. more than it is anything else. That I can actually cease, and everything continues to go. That that my productivity and me doing this, doing that. Um, is important and it's a part of who I am, but it is not what's going to keep the cosmos going. It is it's me understanding that God um, is the giver of life, and I think that that's at the core of 
of a proper, healthy perspective um, of Sabbath. I think we have taken Sabbath and put it in the category of self-care. Mm. And I think what that does, just by the word self-care, mm. um, makes it about me as opposed to having it allow me um, to maybe properly place myself in the universe and understand that I'm not at the center of it, if that makes sense at all. I think it's Bruggeman yeah. said that it's a revolution when you and I can actually rhythm and, and practice Sabbath, that it is revolutionary. And we just don't see it as that. We see it as a time just to stop, um, catch a break, and it's it's healthy for me. Eh, I think there's probably more to it than that. I like that comment of it's not self care. <laughs> no, we've we've reversed that. Um, spirituality and me growing spiritually is not a part of self care. Self care may be a part of spirituality and growing, but when you reverse it, it gets way wobbly. It's upside down. Yeah, and I've actually had Ron come and speak to um, classes that I teach where I think talking about Sabbath is helpful. And um, one of the things I especially remember is that you can't really do Sabbath if you're not actually working. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We and, we all are gonna. Dis- I'm gonna take a Sabbath, and yeah, you just graduated. I don't understand that. You know. Yeah. yeah. And, <laughs> And I, th- I think the other the expectation is you're working the other six. <laughs> yeah, well, actually, that's exactly right. There is, yeah, there is no two day one. weekend in the Bible. Yeah, yeah. there's a six and one rhythm, which, yeah. Anyway, that's a different. Maybe that's a different mm-hmm. podcast. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't. I don't personally think Sabbath is a day, and I don't know Ron doesn't, but I think Sabbath can be a time when, because I am working hard and I'm tired, I can step back and take a deep breath mm-hmm. and let God it's a rhythm do some healing just looking at us in the room and thinking of who you chose it's apparent to me that facial hair is a part of this soul development for sure <laughs> you know, yes. those of us that have full beards versus goatees might mm-hmm. be advancing mm-hmm. I don't know mm-hmm. or those of us who actually have hair, hair. <laughs> oh, <I don't> <laughs> personal attack yeah, yeah. It's all about edifying others, right? right. <laughs> well, and, and so and part of Sabbath seems like it goes along with this idea of submission, right? I mean, it is the it is the letting go of control. That's exactly right. Ceasing. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. So uh, so so I hear some things around. All right. So here do we how do we set ourselves up for spiritual growth? It, it, there's there's this preparation of the soul. There's some some disciplines around. Prayer, uh, scripture reading, um, certainly. I mean, I've already already hear it. You know that they say that the mouth speaks out of an overflow of the heart. But even just in our conversations, scripture clearly and easily rolls out of all of you, and you've spent a lot of time. Um, why? At one point, I'd love to go back and unpack tactically what did Roy McKinney's like. How how do you end up? You know, at a place in your fifties and sixties and seventies where People recognize you as having real command of scripture, and it. I'd love to hear tactically what did you th- what do you think he did in that space, um, and maybe that's a, a conversation for a uh, you know what does real you know in the weeds preparation look like over decades. Um, but one of the things so we, we we we've talked about how do I prepare to be great. And, and lean into this relationship with God. What are some of the things that we have seen where people get tripped up? We all feel like that there are people, and, and I, this is, Dean, I liked your distinction. There are spiritual deserts, even when we're doing the right thing. Like it is part of the journey. But what are the things that we think might be maybe the subtle things that sneak up on people? Um, in their faith journey where apathy creeps in or that hinder, get people, you know, make them move not directionally correct, directionally incorrect. Um, what, are, what are some of the watch? Well, I, think, I think, and you pointed it out, I think over almost four decades of watching people in their spiritual journeys that one of the biggest ones, I don't know if I'd say it's the biggest one because I've not thought about it, that much but one of the biggest ones is the expectation 
that when they say yes to following Jesus, mm-hmm. that it's lush, that there are no deserts. And so they make that decision and things are rocking along and they're doing great. And they may even, you know, be on a just a, a almost a straight up trajectory when it comes to their feeling about how they're growing spiritually. And then they hit a wall or they hit the desert and that totally derails them. So I think to answer the question, the the lack of an expectation of the deserts hmm. oftentimes will will just take people off the track. I also think that, and, and we're living in a world, you know, if you read anything in the world of ministry studies and sociological evaluations of where we are in this post-COVID world, church attendance has tanked Mm-hmm. in big churches and mega churches and tiny little churches. And we it's almost as though we've decided that engagement with other Christians is not important. Mm-hmm. And um, there's, a, there's this incredible little two-verse statement in Romans chapter 1 where Paul says, I long to come to you. And the word he uses there is a really intense emotional word. It's not... Yeah, I wish I could get to come visit, but, man, until I get there, I won't be happy. So that um, I may impart to you a spiritual gift, and that's a good old charismatic word for spiritual gifts, which none of the gift tests ever talk about this one. But, and he says, what I mean by that charisma is the mutual encouragement that comes from your faith and mine. Hmm. And here's, I mean, surely we would say Paul was a, quote, successful, fruitful Christian. And I don't know anything about the Christians in Rome that makes me think they were these super saints that got beamed down from heaven to show the world what church looked like. And he thinks if he could come and worship with them, his faith would be built up. Hmm. I tend to think... Holy smokes, if I knew Paul personally could come to Spring Road Christian Church next Sunday, I would drive down there and get in line on Wednesday night because I know there would be a line to get in the building. And yet Paul thinks, man, if I could just come to Point Chapel one one Thursday night, Mm -hmm. my life would be enriched. And honestly, I'm, I'm not trying to be arrogant, but I seldom go to church where I hear a preacher say something that I haven't thought of before. In terms of biblical content, God, that hurts. Um, <laughs> often they will say ways that text can be applied, but um, and you know, my, my good friend Jim Don and I taught a Sunday school class together for years. Um, he taught one week, and I taught the next. He never said anything that I hadn't heard before. I'm sure I didn't say anything he hadn't heard before. Mm-hmm. And yet, engagement with those people was transformative. Mm-hmm. You and I. We're texting and talking about an N.T. Wright quote that he talks about. N.T. Wright's probably the foremost New Testament theologian in the world right now. And he talked about when he goes to church, he just he just goes as a normal person because he needs a word from God and the encouragement of others. And, mm-hmm. and I'm going, geez. And actually, he goes to a pretty small church. Yeah. And the, the exact phrase, if I'm remembering correctly, is I go as a simple, humble follower of Jesus because yeah. I need to hear a word from God. Yeah. And um, I think I can do that wherever I go to church, and I think I need that, whether or not I'm in one of those moments in my life where I'm on the upward yeah. journey or I'm in one of those moments where I don't even know if I believe in God anymore. Hmm. Yeah. Fellowship with God's people is essential you know when we talk about the things that we do you know read the bible pray go outside posture and everything one indicator that that we're tripping up is probably the things we're not doing so the bible is filled new testament in particular with phrases that say something about what we're to do with or for one another you know, love one another, forgive one another, be kind to one another, you know, mm-hmm. on and on and on. Serve one another. Serve one another. So, hard to self-evaluate because when we're in a spiritual slump, we might have some blindness and we need somebody else to point it out to us. Mm-hmm. 
But when yeah. we don't see ourselves being kind, <laughs> loving, forgiving, etc., yeah. that would be a pretty strong indicator. It's a red flag. It's a red flag. And, and I was thinking about um, an executive that played a prominent role in my life at some point and who's not a believer and uh, who one time uh, we were having breakfast together. And as we were uh, at breakfast, there were quite a few people that were walking by us with a Bible in their hand. And they were going into this back room. And there were a few of them that were kind of celebrity status in the town that, that we knew, you know, athletes, or business people, et cetera, Hollywood people. And um, he said to me, what are they doing back there? Because he knew I was a believer and he wasn't. And I said, well, they're probably having a Bible study. And he said, well, how hard is it to get? <laughs> he said, because I see him every week going back there. And does it really take that much time to figure out? He said, I don't know a lot, but didn't Jesus tell us to do something? You know? Yeah. And I think that's part of it. If you're not doing those things that Jesus said to do, yeah. in fact, that's exactly what he said, you will be blessed by what you do, not just by what you hear or know. And so somehow we got to measure that. Mm -hmm. you know, are we being kind? Are we being generous? And if we're not, then the soul probably isn't yeah. growing. Mm -hmm. It goes to what Huxford said. We, we confuse Bible knowledge with actually doing something. And so I've always in my life tried to see, for me, gr closing the gap between what I know and how I'm actually acting. Mm -hmm. So for me, that's, that's a part of the progress along the journey. So if I know he says to serve one another, <laughs> there's a huge gap between the fact that I know that and how I'm actually doing it, then there's, a, there's an issue there. So I'm not mm -hmm. closing that gap. And I also think it's easy to assume every Thursday night I go serve food in a soup kitchen, so I'm doing. But on Friday, when I'm at work with my colleagues, kindness is the last word that would ever pop into my head. Yeah. And some of our doing is not so much physical labor, yeah. mm -hmm. which it's very easy to pat myself on the back if... I go across the street and mow the lady who's sick. I mow her grass because she can't. There's more to doing than physical labor. Yeah. I, th I think physical labor is important, mm -hmm. but it, being kind or serving one another or loving one another or forgiving one another doesn't necessarily require me to, to mow her break out in the sweat. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it might make me break out in the sweat, <laughs> yeah. actually. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And we, we haven't touched on it, but two things that come to mind that could be a whole podcast is the importance of repentance and the importance of showing gratitude. Yeah. And yeah. you can't have a healthy soul Without those if two. you're not repenting because you did screw up sometime today. Yeah. And why do you look at me? If, if you're not <laughs> grateful for Boy. what God has done and what others are doing, you didn't create all of this. God blessed you. You know, mm. you had something to do with it, but it was generally his blessing. And so somehow those things have to be a part of the rhythm. Yeah. Mm. So is it too far to say that Christianity is a religion of submission and community? Can we, can we effectively capture the sentiment of what God wants from us in the absence of some degree of submission like, I, can I be a Lone Ranger Christian? <laughs> I don't. Absolutely not. I, I mean, if, if the second greatest, if the first greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your spirit, like this is like be in relationship with me. But then the second one is about love your neighbor as your, it is about living into community. It's these commitments that we're asked to do, but not not solo. Like I don't tithe for me. I tithe for the benefit of other people. I, you know, like I don't give, I don't, you know, like I don't serve. It is to be in this relational yeah. community. Well, you know, maybe it's obvious and the pastors here can clean it up. 
for me, but you can't have this relationship short of surrendering to Jesus and acknowledging what he did for you on the cross mm. and that the Holy Spirit comes and lives in you. We don't have the capacity to right. save ourselves or to do any of this good stuff we've talked about on our own. It's mm. only by the work of the Holy Spirit in us. And that's where the gratitude comes in. When you realize it's, it's not about you, you can't do it on your own, you're very grateful for the gifts. So we, we kind of leaned into this idea of what are the subtle things that sneak up on people to kind of hinder their spiritual health. One of the things that sticks out is this idea of solitude. Like it's the segregating or the aloneness we think that we can do Christianity by ourselves and that we don't need to be in church communities and life community with each other. I've seen a lot of, I've seen a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of business owners forsake their friendships and forsake their family relationships and, and, their, and their spiritual communities to go build their business. And they end up alone and vulnerable and bad things happen, especially to guys when we get off by ourselves. Yeah. Like, this is not, I don't, I don't see a lot of good coming from uh, living a solo lifestyle but I haven't ever thought about it as being one of the things that sneaks up on people spiritually. Yeah. All right, so um, so being guys who have, uh, who have had a couple of days on the planet, you've been around the, you know, we've, we've, we've gone around the sun a couple of times, um, and there've been, like you said, there've been there've been some spiritual deserts, but then there've been some like life hardships. Like you don't, I don't know anybody who goes cradle to grave and doesn't experience loss and doesn't experience uh, hardship and disappointment. What are the spiritual practices? What are the what are the things that you have benefited from, either because you did them? for decades and then when there was need they were there or what are the things that helped you be spiritually prepared for difficulty and hardship in your life well i will try to say something i think if you were to ask my two kids what's one of the most important things dad taught you about god they both would say pretty quickly that it's okay to get mad at God and let him know. And um, you don't need to stay mad with God. But if you read Psalms and you think it's a sin to be mad with God, you should basically clip that book out of the Bible because it's all about that. And um, so I, I can remember the day that Vicky was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer I don't know if there's a meter that would measure my anger Hmm. level because as both my children said, dad, she's the good one of the four of us. Hmm. And which I think they were saying, we would have expected you to have pancreatic cancer, (laughs) not not our mother. But, um, and I I think we, we sometimes think God is somehow either afraid of our questions or unable to answer our questions. Hmm. And, I don't think he's either of those things. And I would probably say that my faith today is stronger than it was the day before I heard that diagnosis um, for a variety of reasons. One is, God and I have had some really serious talks, but I also have surrounded myself in my adult life with people like these two guys and others um, who have engaged me in life and checked on me and um, been direct when they needed to be Hmm. and let me know that there were people who cared about me in that point in life. And uh, I think if if you're facing difficulties, I mean, what I just described is about as dramatic a difficulty as it gets. But not all difficulties are like that. If I lose a job, um, if I 
getting a car wreck and can't afford to buy a new car. I mean, there's a gazillion kind of difficulties in life. But I think they all revolve around my confidence that God is so interested in me that he's willing to let me rant if I need to. Mm. He's willing to let me ask questions if I need to. And if I'm willing, he will surround me by people whom the Holy Spirit can use to walk me through that dark spot in life. Picking up on that, I I think, yes, it's okay to be angry, have questions, all those sort of things. But you've spent some time, and I know in my own journey, um, you know, having gone through the divorce of my parents as a teenager, having gone through a divorce as an adult, and I certainly had lots of questions that I asked God during those times, but it was the intentionality the second time, the first time, it was just the providence of God, probably both times, um, where he surrounded me Hmm. with people who went through it with me, which goes to the Lone Ridge or Christian thing. You cannot get through the hard times or the desert by yourself. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and you shouldn't try to do it just with God. You gotta <laughs> yeah. have some somebody with flesh on. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah I would say very specifically, um, and I've not experienced loss the way that those two guys have, um, but I would just say quickly crashed and burned, and the the two things, if you want to call them disciplines, the two things that that got me through it was the regular discipline in the morning of talking to God Mm. Um, because I had had some good conversations with him, Mm. which I think allowed me to understand (laughs) that we could have some really ugly dark ones Mm. because of where I was. But then the second thing, which is just repeating what they did was um, the discipline of, of allowing myself to be surrounded um, I'm and these guys know this. I'm introverted, so the fact that you can't do it alone makes me mad <laughs> because I think it would be a lot better. But anyway, um, but so it's a discipline uh, for for me to uh, to be open. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you know I've known these guys like we talked about at the beginning multiple decades. But the discipline of having people um, around me that loved me that would speak into my life, hmm. um, I think is one that, sorry. Yeah. You know, uh, it's interesting. We usually talk about this idea in the, in the people fire idea, the idea of that you're, you have your family part of your people, people fire, but then you also have your friends. Yeah. And that the idea is, is that, like, my casket's going to have six handles on it. And if I don't have six men who were honored to have done life with me, um, who would, if my wife can't call six men who would say, man, I, not because they were my second cousin, but because we did life together, who would carry that casket, then I'm, I'm missing something. And I, I think one of the things, my take, one of my takeaways today is that the overlap between my purpose fire and that community element of it. And my people fire and those friends element of it are so conjoined like that that is. And I, and I, one of the reasons I wanted to have the three of y'all in here together is because y'all have done life together, um, and, and shared stories and experiences. And so there's this almost throwaway line near the end of second Timothy where, where Paul says, when you come, I'll bring my coat in the books and the parchments, which seems like, okay, Paul's Paul, Paul is telling Timothy yeah. to bring his coat. And, his and you know, even if the coat still existed, who are you going to take it to? I mean, that's 2,000 years ago. But that verse has helped shape my whole life, actually, my whole adult life, because um, I want there to be some folks that if I'm in a nursing home drooling somewhere, I can call them up and say, hey, I need you to bring me. Mm. And they would. And I want there to be some people in my life that if they called me up and said, 
I need you to bring me. I'll go and do it. And that, I, in my head, uh, that that describes what mentoring ought to be, why mentoring is so important, and why, as I think all of us have said at some point, the idea of a lone range of Christian is just, that's an oxymoron of the mm. worst kind. Mm. It's, it's who, who, who would bring you your coat and your books and parchments? Or, in your analogy, surely there's some six guys that will take your dead body out of the church building and yeah. put it in the dirt. Mm-hmm. And if there's not, then there's something wrong with your face. I better, I better get to you better building get to some busy. relationships. Yeah. yeah. Well, gentlemen, that that was enlightening. <laughs> um, I've uh, that's why we hang out in community because all of us are smarter than any of us. I really thank you guys for being here um, today, and and not just for being here today, but for being here with me through my spiritual journey and my life journey. You know. Dean, you and Y started mentoring me when I was in college at Georgia Tech, and, and those were uh, critical days in my life and professional development and then my spiritual development. And, Ron, you were my pastor for many years in my early marriage, and um, it's been fun to just dig into some of the depth of, um, of, of your journeys and the time and the energy that you have put into growing yourselves it's not lost, and it's evident as it overflows out of your mouths. I have thought about myself more as fertile soil. How do I posture myself? And that requires some submission. Thought about when do I need to be more outside with my with my scripture and study, or or even should I start paying more attention to my body position in prayer, engagement with Christian community. And this idea of building real, authentic friendships is something that I, I think I'm, I think I'm living into, but I am rethinking even in, in light of this conversation. So, I am really, really grateful. Dean is you do a daily devotion. If people wanted to get some some daily wisdom from you, uh, how would they find that? So, um, type in your search. Um, DeanCollins.co, D-E-A-N-C-O-L-L-I-N-S dot C-O. And okay. he'll take you there. You can subscribe or just read it there. Okay. Are there any other uh, spiritual or, or insightful things that we want to, we need to plug? Thanks for letting me be on a podcast with these two guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, thanks for letting me be. I'm just a fly in the room. I'm gonna come. I'm gonna let you guys just uh, come in weekly and pontificate. We'll record it and then uh, we'll we'll hit stop at the end of your conversations. We, we started off this podcast talking about the tribe and uh, and even mentioned this idea of fire circles. And the idea of the fire circle is that real life change only happens in community. That no major life event happens by yourself. And so so I really encourage you if you've listened to this and you thought, man, I maybe I do need to lean into that part of my purpose fire or maybe I need to lean into my friends. The Four Fires Tribe is a space where uh, we are creating space and, and time for men to get together and press on each other, kind of as iron sharpens iron, you know, kind of moments. So if that's something that you're interested in, click the description, uh, and, and there's a link in there. Gentlemen, I'm honored to have had you here. Uh, thank you. Super grateful. Um, thank you, Four Fires Tribe. Y'all go live intentionally. <laughs> <laughs>